You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody, just wanted to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving and to let you know how thankful I am to all of you for listening into this podcast. And on Thanksgiving morning, don't forget to tune in to NBC, watch that Macy's Day Parade, and catch Once on this Island performing live. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everybody. This is the Producer's Perspective Podcast. My name is Ken Davenport. We have a fascinating guest on today's podcast who has a somewhat of a brand new job on Broadway. This thing didn't exist a couple of decades ago, maybe even one decade ago. Please welcome to the podcast the founder of Nexus Ticketing Solutions, a company providing ticketing analysis to shows like Wicked, Beautiful, many more, Mr. Mike Raphael. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Ken. Nice to see you again. So, Mike, we're going to start with just a simple one. What the F do you do? What is this new job that has popped up on Broadway recently? It's very funny. So dynamic pricing, which has become a fascinating buzzword on Broadway. Dynamic pricing is one of those phrases we all use like the Hamilton effect. And no two people mean the same thing when they use it. For a number of years, I thought my job was literally explaining to producers that dynamic pricing didn't mean just raising prices. Several years ago now, people began to notice that Lion King, which had been dipping in their grosses, had made a really strong comeback. Their numbers were really strong. And people started asking questions. The Times did a story about it, talking about Disney's ticketing team and how they'd really gotten into the analytics of 10 years of ticketing history and turned it around and had algorithms for how to price seats. And of course, as is the one on Broadway, I'll have what they're having. Everybody said, how do we do that? What do we do? And we have a wealth of data on Broadway. We publish our grosses every week. There's 20 years 
history of Broadway grosses available publicly. And you can go in and have fun with it. So big data and dynamic pricing is basically ticket analytics. How do we adjust our pricing seasonally by section, you know, seeing trends that are happening on the street to maximize the revenue? You and I actually started off Broadway. So we used to work in smaller theaters. And when you're in a 199-seat theater, what you can get for every seat becomes so critically important. I ran Ticket Central, which is leading off-Broadway ticketing service. I worked with nonprofit theaters. I worked with commercial off-Broadway production. Maximizing the value of every seat for every performance. And it was fascinating, the things that I learned off-Broadway, I'm sure you learned this as well. Even in a 199-seat theater, people had different values for different seats. Oh, I want a good seat. Every seat in the 199-seat theater is a house seat on Broadway that you can't get, right? But people have a value for that seat. So figuring out how people value their seat, maximizing the value that you can get for each ticket, and maximizing the return on the investment. I mean, it's we got to pay back. We want to keep doing what we do. I love this the Disney ticketing team. I always uh, imagine like a dozen or so elves or dwarves <laughs> exactly. like yeah, in a cave somewhere <laughs> sitting in front of computers. <laughs> Developing algorithms, but you're you're absolutely right. Obviously, Lion King did have this major roar back, if you will, and doing the numbers that they're doing today was really someone very very successful producer uh, recently said to me, uh, "There's a world in which the Lion King never closes." Oh yeah, and I think that's a direct result to all the work that the ticketing team and people like you are are, are doing out there. So is this is this a new thing? Although. You know, discounting has always been dropping prices. So right. what's new or what's different about it what's, as opposed to discounting? It's fascinating. Part of getting the pricing right is in some ways trying to, I'm a big advocate of the full price show, eliminating discounts. Price your ticket to sell. Don't price your ticket to discount. In other words, and it's fascinating. One of the things that, that conversations we have all the time, people say you can't sell your tickets to a specific sales channel because that's a discount channel. I'm like, well, that's a discount channel because you're discounting your tickets in it. But there's no reason to say we can't put our less expensive tickets there at full price, or depending on how we feel about our show and how people feel about our show, our full price, higher price tickets there. You have to ask yourself, as a customer, if they're shopping in that channel and your show isn't there, are they going to say to themselves, oh, well, the show I want isn't there, I'll go looking for it elsewhere? Or are they going to say, the show I want isn't there, I'll buy something else? So there's no downside to me of saying, put your full price tickets in a discount channel, even if it's not at a discount, and get the sales you can, because you want to stock the shelves. You want to be in the marketplace, right? Also, I think there's a big argument to be made for don't price the ticket at 109, so you can discount it to 89. If you can sell it at 89, sell it at 89, or if your ticket's worth 109, put it on the shelf at 109, and let people tell you what the value of your ticket is. The other part of that equation, which I find fascinating, one of my favorite stories I was working on a show at Serino Coin with Nancy Coin, and we had a fascinating problem. We were in a smaller house, and we were selling front to back. We sold our most expensive seats first, and the tickets we had the most problem selling were the cheapest seats, the rear mezzanine. And Nancy Coin said, well, what, what, how much are they? And I said, well, they're 79. She goes, well, how much are the seats in front of them? I said, 99. And she said, well, how many of the 79? I said, it's the last two rows. And she said, well, you're telling people it's a bad seat. <laughs> so she goes, you're, little, you're telling people not to sit there. And I said, so we're having problems selling tickets. And the solution is to raise the price. Okay. So we did. And it worked. So there is a narrative to pricing. You're telling people what the value is. And sometimes with a show, when you're putting discounts out, you're telling people your discount show. So finding a way to convert shows to full price, getting your pricing right, and accepting that there is a narrative about your show, even within your ticketing, becomes critical. So what's the first thing you do with a new client that's 
a new show that has not <laughs> opened yet? Like, how do you establish those first set of prices? Got to start somewhere. One of the first things you do with a producer is, that I've done this in several rooms, you sit down and say, how many people here have bought a ticket to their own show? And all the hands go up and you say, how seats don't count? And all the hands go down. They say, okay, great. We're going to go online and buy a ticket to your show. And you walk them through the process. You literally walk them through, if you're a customer and you've heard of the show, how are you buying a ticket? It informs a lot. It informs producers who haven't seen how their house looks on a seating map or what a service fee is, what people are actually paying for their tickets. And then within that, you say, you have to set arbitrary valuation. You can look at what other shows in that theater have done. You can look at other shows in, you know, that are in your part of the market, whether it's a musical or a revival. At the end of the day, you're putting a value on and saying, this is what we think, what we're doing is worth. You need to run long enough for people to tell you what they think your show is worth. And that's always a challenge. The hardest thing in the world probably is pricing a new show. The second hardest thing in the world is transitioning a show to full price from discount because early on in the run of the show, you're trying to get people. And that's really challenging. I always say, I don't know if a tree falls in the woods. I don't know if it makes a sound, but I do know that it falls in the wood and there's nobody there to hear it. There's nobody going out saying, I just heard the coolest sound in the woods. You've got to get people in early. The other thing I think you and I both learned off Broadway, people are critical of a show in inverse proportion to what they pay. A comp house is the worst house in the world. They so are, true. They're mean. So true. I'd rather people pay a dollar than get them in there. Absolutely true. So getting people in who have paid something and therefore have vested in that show, preferably people who you think will be predisposed to liking your show. And we have never had more platforms for the amplification of word of mouth. In some ways, reviews have never been less important, but crowdsourcing. That amplification on social media and websites that have, you know, customer reviews has never been more important to theater. You've got to feed the beast. You've got to get people in. They've got to have a good experience. Oftentimes that experience starts with the ticketing. Before they ever get to their seat, they have researched your show. They bought a ticket. They've gone through your house staff. I've said this many, many times. Sometimes people's experience of the show is shaped before the curtain ever gets up. And that becomes critical as well. So ticketing is an important element of that. We always said at Ticket Central, we were first contact. We were people's first contact with your show when they were calling us for tickets. So that's really important. Extending the thought about the narrative of pricing, one of the things that I find fascinating is happening on Broadway right now, the Hamilton effect. That's the other phrase that we all use. I've used it many times. And I I have to, and and I've even had different meanings for it. It's a sold-out show. They can get what they want for the prices. It, every time they put on a new block of tickets, it sells out instantly. What does that mean for the rest of Broadway? Does it feed the perception that Broadway is very expensive and you can't afford it? Does it feed the narrative that you need to get tickets early or else you won't be able to get them? It, it means different things. It also helps to, for us to realize Broadway just finished a record year. We're in the midst of another record year. I think this year is going to blow away all the records we previously set. We're well ahead of last year's pace, and the big boys haven't even come in yet. So you look at that and you say, we're having this moment where Broadway has, you know, entered the cultural consciousness in a way that we haven't had in many years. So people are willing to, they say, I want to see a Broadway show. Great. If the one they want isn't available, they will go see something else. So you have to be part of that conversation. I worked on a hit show, big hit show, at the height of the fighting. And I did this really interesting analysis. And I said, okay, we're going to look at the web traffic to our site and how many people are coming to our site looking for tickets. And we have no tickets available. So they're doing search after search, performance after performance, trying to find tickets. And we're only selling very few tickets. Our conversion rate is marginal because we had no tickets. And I said, okay, guys, this is our frustration fact. This is the amount of people who want tickets to our show and can't get them. 
And when they leave our website, they will go somewhere else and find tickets. They'll go to the secondary market. They will, you know, we had the challenge of on a Saturday night on a hit show, we didn't know half the people sitting in our audience because they hadn't bought their tickets to us. We didn't know who they were, how much they paid, or where they'd come from. And we're losing control of that audience. We couldn't talk to them. We couldn't send them a note after and say, did you like the show? So trying to keep people in the primary channel, trying, trying to maintain that primary relationship with them, understanding their behavior. Are they the type of person who's a tourist coming to town and tourists generally buy 2.5 Broadway shows? I don't know where the point five comes from, but they, they it's will a 90 buy, minute show. Right. They're the first acting somebody. They'll buy one in advance, which is the show that they think is a hit that they can't get tickets to. Then they'll wait till they get to town and see what else is here. Now, is your show the show they buy before they get here, or is your show the show that they might buy when they're in town? And how do you market to that? How do you market them in advance? How do you market them when they're here? Different tickets are sold at different times. Some are sold 60 days in advance. Some are sold the week before. Some are sold the week after. One of the other things that we've seen with the Hamilton Effect is we had gone through a period of about five years where the advanced sale window on Broadway had shrunk. It went from 30 days to 20 days down to week of, week before, where the majority of tickets sold on Broadway are sold week of, week before. Now with the advent of these mega hits, advent of these mega hits, Springsteen, Hello Dolly, Mormon, Evan Hansen, you have to buy further in advance. So the shows are sold out six months in advance. So we're changing people's behavior back to you have to plan ahead. What, you know, what, what are we doing next April? What do you want to see? Tickets are going on sale earlier. They're on sale longer. All of which is, is good, I think, for us. But was having this cultural moment. It doesn't, however, mean that you necessarily have to pay more. Yes, the mega hits are crazy price. You can still see the longest running show on Broadway, the top grossing show in the history of Broadway for a reasonable price. And you can probably still get a seat the week up or the week, or the week before. A good seat. That's great. That's really important for our industry. Broadway is the most international, hyper-local business in the world. You can go anywhere in the world and say Broadway, and people go, oh, Broadway. Broadway is 41 theaters in a 10-block area of Manhattan. We have a limited amount of inventory. We can't expand based on demand. So we need to fill every seat at every performance, and we need to do it for every show that's running. And we need to roll that over. In other words, if you're on a limited run, you only have a certain number of seats. You can charge whatever you want. If you can get 2,000, great. You're only going to be there 10 weeks. You're only going to be there 15 weeks. A very wise man in the business once said to me, look, Wicked isn't sold out. It's sold out the night you want to go. It's not sold out. You can get seats. You just have to plan a little, right? And that's what we need to encourage people to do. So that's part of it, finding out what your show is. Is your show this show or that show? Is your show early in its run? Is your show transitioning from being the show of the moment to a long run? Or is your show in its 10th year, its 15th year, its 20th year? So where did you learn all this stuff? Like, how did you get started and, and become this, like, ticketing guru? I worked at the box office at Tree Lane Theater, and then I went to the Century Center. I worked in a number of box offices off-Broadway, and I became fascinated by it because you have direct contact with customers. So I realized how important customer service was and how much information you could get just by selling tickets. I went to work for Ticket Central, which was this off-Broadway Playwrights Horizons box office, and we bundled together a lot of the nonprofit theaters. And so we were we had a phone room. Best thing I ever did was I had my desk in the middle of the phone room. I heard all of the phone calls that came in. I heard all of the customer service that went on. While I was at Ticket Central, I was there four years. We went from $850,000 in sales to $13 million in sales in four years. More interestingly, we went from doing 60% of our sales on the phones to 70% of our sales online. The industry changed that radically that quickly. 
And it continues to. We hit these points in that almost go unrecognized because they happen so quickly now. The point at which the readership of the New York Times went from majority print to majority digital. The point at which the website traffic to your show website went from being desktop to mobile. And we just blow past them, and they have huge ramifications for how we talk to people and how we interact with them and give them information. And then there's the matter of what information we get from them. When we all have access to this huge amount of data, it then becomes incumbent on us to ask the right question. You know, who's buying our tickets when? Who's our core audience? Who's the next circle out in that audience? How much do they pay? Where do they want to see? What do they think are the best seats in the house? Not what do we think they should think are the best seats in the house. What are they willing to pay? And when are they willing to pay? Do they pay more early? Do they pay more late? Is it a group show? Is it a student show? You know, it's is it a tourist show? Different shows have different seasons. Some shows do well over the summer. Some shows do better with the locals. There are also these constant changes and churning in the Broadway marketplace. Years ago, we knew we had two-week periods in the season. January, February, winter, fall, September, October. That has dramatically changed in the last five years. January and February have gotten worse, if possible, but September and October have gotten stronger. Summer seems to last a little longer. I blame climate change. <laughs> and winter has gotten worse. We've gone through a couple of really bad blizzards, and people have gotten gunshot. If you live in the tri-state area and you're buying tickets for January and February, you're going to wait to the last minute because what if it snows and you're out of money and the show doesn't have a great exchange policy? All things we've had to adapt to, and they're constantly, and ticketing is always at the front of that, that it shapes people's experience of the show. If they have a good experience with their tickets and they say, well, I bought tickets and you had to cancel the show or I couldn't get in, great, we'll take care of it. I worked on Spider-Man. There was a point in my life in ticketing where the last three shows I worked on were Phantom, Spider-Man, and Book of Mormon. I learned a whole bunch of stuff that I'll never get to apply to anything ever again. <laughs> but Spider-Man was fascinating because they literally said, we're going to shut down for a month and retool the show. And we were sold out. It wasn't like we were shutting down because the sales weren't good. They wanted to rework the show. And we had to figure out how to take a month's worth of performances off sale and deal with unhappy customers and rearrange seats. And one of the things I was proud of was we had incredibly high ratings for customer service on Spider-Man. Whatever you may have thought of the show, the experience of how we handled people's experience with the show was important. Fascinating challenges. You know, again, it's shaping people's experience before they even show and start. What's the biggest mistake that you see producers make when pricing a show? Whether that's at the onset or, or during. There has been a tendency recently to look at some of the average ticket prices for some of the hit Broadway shows and go, why can't I get that? And the goal isn't to make the most money per ticket, the goal is to run the longest and be the most profitable. So that is the biggest challenge. Getting the price right, not getting the price you want, but getting the price people are willing to pay is very, very important. Getting married to gross potential. Well, I, I, I have to show this number. It's the most liquid number on Broadway. Because with dynamic pricing, the prices aren't the same for every performance or every seat. So you can't really have a fixed gross potential. You can get in ballpark. It's more about what do we need to gross What's our break even? How do we get above that? And how is that, how do we make that sustainable? So the critical thing becomes, how are you going to price your tickets to get people in during previews and through the early run of the show? And how do you transition from being a received as a discount show to a full price show? And then how do you manage your full price so that you're getting what you need for as long as you can? And is there a secret to that transition from discount to full price? How, how do you wean yourself off or how do you wean the customers off that discounted teat, if you will? Yes. There, there are a number of things. People always say, well, it's a discount channel. It's a discount channel if you 
are selling your tickets at a discount in that channel. If you can sell your tickets at full price in that channel, do. I would rather sell a $79 full price ticket in that channel, even if I only have a few of them, than sell my $109 tickets at 79 discount them. That's one. Don't let other people tell you what your prices are. You and I have had this experience. There are a number of sales channels, little companies go, well, we have to have the best price in the market. Well, no. <laughs> They're my tickets. I'm going to price them. You can give me guidance as to what your experience is in your channel as to what people pay. But I will tell you that I've had a number of experiences where I have raised the average ticket price in a given sales channel on a given show because I knew what the demand was for the show. And we knew how to create demand for the show. And that is ultimately the goal, getting people to pay what they're willing to pay to see your show and being available broadly. I always said that shows, there was a bias against full price shows because there's so many discount channels where you can't sell your tickets unless you're discounting. Converting those channels to full price becomes very important. And in your day-to-day activities now, how much of what you do is, like, I sometimes imagine you sitting in a room with, like, 147 monitors and, like, beep, bop, lip, and, like, how much of it is computerized, and then how much of it, is is there still room for, and space for just good old-fashioned box office treasure know-how gut instinct? Yes, as a matter of fact, box office treasures are an underutilized resource. They deal with your customers. Now, albeit they only deal with the ones who walk up to the box office, it's so important to have a conversation with them and get their feedback on what they're seeing right in the window. On the other hand, yes, we are overwhelmed with data. We have more data than we can actually analyze at this point for Broadway. And that's just what's publicly available, more or less what you have on your own show where you're getting you know, multiple feeds. Yes, I literally sit in front of multiple monitors, and sometimes I just stare at numbers until patterns emerge. I know that sounds crazy. Yes, you can run programs that will do all sorts of algorithms and analytics. Sometimes it's just a matter of looking at numbers until patterns emerge and things that you hadn't thought of before become apparent. The Yang being, I come in from Montclair, New Jersey, and I'm sitting there with my iPad, and I was sitting next to this very nice woman, and I could tell that she was kind of fascinated by what I was doing. And she finally said, I, I don't mean this to but what are you doing? And I said, oh, well, I'm actually changing the prices for Broadway shows. And it wasn't until I said it out loud that I thought, that's insane. <laughs> I'm sitting on the bus changing prices for Broadway shows. But you have to constantly be on top of it and paying attention to everything from weather to the trends on the street to what's opening when and what's happening politically. I was talking with a friend of mine who does projections for a long-running show. And he and I were talking about the fact that that we now bake into our projections a terrorist event somewhere in the world and a weather event. We don't know when they're going to happen. They're kind of like sliders that you put on your calendar. You know they're going to happen and you can somewhat predict the impact they're going to have on sales. But you have to account for it. You can't, data can't, there's no algorithm for that. There's no algorithm for the impact that unforeseen events have. And we have to bake that into our pricing and everything else that we do on Broadway. How many shows are utilizing someone like you now on Broadway? (laughs) Not enough. Many, many more than used to. It's important. Every show should have someone like me, whether it be at the ad agency or in the general manager's office or an independent consultant who's looking at this data and trying to find insights about the audience and making managing the inventory, making the pricing adjustments. Let's put it this way. Everybody who works on a show gets paid out of the money that comes in. Building that audience, maximizing what you can get for every ticket. Try to sell every ticket, making sure those houses are full. Critically important. Critically important. And you know, it's, I, I go out and have dinner with friends. I have friends who are lawyers and doctors, and we go out, and, but they always invite me because I'm the theater guy. They go, what do you do? I go, I work on Broadway. Oh, that's really cool. What do you do? Oh, I do ticking analytics. <laughs> I have the most boring job in the theater. But it's 
really important, and it's actually kind of really exciting because you learn about the audience. You look at these numbers and you learn who your audience is. And there are always things that will constantly surprise you. It's never what you think. You know, I worked on a show and we said, oh, well, our audience is, you know, women 55 plus from the suburbs. And we sold the vast majority of our tickets to men in Brooklyn. And you're like, what? You have to let the audience tell you who they are. You can go in with, with expectations, but very quickly you will gather data that will inform your decisions in a way that you didn't expect. Here's a controversial question for you. Ready? Mm -hmm. Do you think there should be a cap on the price of theater tickets, or should we charge whatever the market will bear? You know, almost five, six years after that original article on Disney's ticket, there was an article a few weeks ago in the New York Times, and they were talking about the Springsteen tickets. And it was funny, they actually had a Nobel Prize winner in statistics and economics, and they were talking about, is there a moral component to pricing? And it's fascinating. Now, take a show that's a limited run. No matter what the demand is, they can't expand, they can't play a bigger house and they can't play longer. They have a limited number of seats. So they need to get every dollar they can for every seat. Now, if that producer, that performer says, you know, I know I can get 2000 for this, but I want to put that ticket in the hands of somebody who can't afford $2,000 because I think it's important for them to see this show. They are giving away money. There is nothing wrong with that. It's a choice. And I think it's a great choice. And I think it should be encouraged, but it has to be a conscious choice. I worked on a show early on, five years ago now, that was big hit. The amount of time, effort, money we spent trying to sell less expensive tickets to people who would actually sit in those seats became preclusive. We actually had to stop trying to do it because it was too hard. We were spending more time trying to sell cheap seats to younger people, and it was just not working. We've already put better technology in place to try and help that. The Fan Verified system, the Harry Potter on sale, the Springsteen on sale, really trying to get tickets into the hands of people will actually sit in the seat. Should there be a cap on how expensive, how high is up? I, at one point in my career, actually set the record before Hamilton of the highest price ticket on Broadway. Which was? Death of a Salesman. And how much? For 480 for the closing week. We were closing. We were hoping no one would notice. I actually spent a lot of time thinking about it ethically and morally. Is this, and I thought, people are never going to see the show again. It's going to go away. The investors need to make their money back. This is what they're wanting to pay. People, if they wanted to see the show, we had cheap seats earlier. It's the last week we need to raise the price. It's a constant challenge balancing. Nobody goes into theater because they want to do art for the 1%. We all believe that we are changing the world in some way. But in order to change the world, you have to have a broad audience. You can't just preach to the converted or to those that can afford it. Making it accessible becomes incredibly important. Early on, I was amazed about Kevin Cullen and Jeffrey Seller when they were doing rent. They raised their prices in the orchestra, and there was a lot of hubbub at the time. It's like, oh, they're raising prices. They also lowered prices in the mezzanine at the same time. Their GP probably was the same or maybe a little bit higher. Yes, they were getting more for their best seats. They were also lowering prices and making it more accessible, and they had that great lottery system at rent, which I always loved. Um, and is now standard on Broadway, that becomes important. Can you do that? Can you, frankly, extend the life of the show and the life of Broadway by making sure you're getting a younger audience in before they can pay these insane prices? Does that mean that we shouldn't also charge the insane prices? I have a lot less of a problem with it now than I did five years ago. Yeah, I've, I've, first of all, if people are willing to pay it, people want to pay for your product. You should let them pay what they want to pay, number one. But two, I... I I think you're so right about that. And I fight with the press all the time because they will say like, oh, Hamilton tickets are $800 or what. And that's not the case. The best Hamilton tickets are $800. Right. 
the 50-yard line Jets tickets are X dollars, but the ble- you can still get in there right. for less. We used to have what I call the golden ticket. We used to, Broadway would put out a press release every year saying, we had our highest grosses ever. We sold fewer tickets, but we charged more, and we had a record year. The logical endpoint of this was to sell one ticket for a billion dollars and put out a press release. The best thing that's happened in the last two years is we've actually sold more tickets. Yes, ticket prices are going up, but we've also sold more tickets, and we've sold more cheaper tickets. Expanding the audience for theater and including the high end and low end is critical. What worries you about pricing on Broadway right now? Perception. Not reality, exactly what you were just saying. Perception that when they were making jokes on the Tony Awards about how you can't get Hamilton tickets now, they cost $1,000. And when people go and search for Hamilton tickets or they end up on the secondary market and they're seeing $2,500 for a Springsteen ticket, it, it, it undermines the reality and it changes the perception. And at a time when the audience for Broadway is expanding, making sure that maybe you can't see the show you originally set out wanting to see, but there are great shows that you can afford that are available now that you should see. <laughs> you will walk, trust me, you will walk out going, wow, that changed the way I think about things. And the perception that, oh, you, you have to order tickets three months in advance. The majority of tickets on Broadway are sold a week up, week before week up. So that, we don't do enough with the most international, hyper-local brand in the world of branding and having a common experience for all shows where people have a certain expectation of not just the experience of the show itself, but the experience of everything surrounding it how they get their tickets, where they should go, what information they need before they get there. Really important. Customer service is critically important in our industry. Flash forward 10 years, how does the primary ticketing seller deal with the secondary market? What does it look like in 10 years from now? We, we talk about as primary market and secondary market. The reality is we need to get rid of those terms and make it a market. There's no reason why a show shouldn't be able to sell their own tickets on the secondary market at whatever prices they determine, rather than letting somebody else resell their tickets and determine the pricing. Then it becomes incumbent on the show to say, I'm going to cap my pricing. I'm going to sell my tickets at this, and when I'm sold out, I'm happy. We need to make it all one market. Right now, Broadway has limited to no access to this huge marketplace, the secondary market brokers, who do a vast amount of business. We have no access to the customer data. We have no access to the pricing. We see what the tickets are listed for. We don't necessarily know what they're sold for. All incredibly valuable data to us, all of which should inform how we price shows. I think it will all become one market. I also think how people buy tickets has already radically changed and will continue to radically change. There's a great story in the book, The Season by William Goldman, where he went to meet with a producer the day after his show had opened. And he walked in the guy's office and he pulled back the curtain on Shubert Alley and there was a line around the block. He said, now that's a hit. And William Goldman said, only in theater would we consider it a success when we've inconvenienced our core audience. <laughs> and that's a really important thing to consider because people used to buy tickets by going to the box office. Then they bought them over the phone. Then they bought them on the internet. Now they buy them on their phone again, but it's a couple of clicks, right? And it's, you know, it's going to be facial recognition or with a thumbprint. The fewest clicks between the instinct to give me money and my having your money. If someone has an impulse to buy, get it to them, get it into their hands as quickly as you can. Critically important. And doing it in real time. So people want to know what they're buying. It's all from a common database. We're all buying real seats in real time from real people. It has to be the future. Okay, my genie question. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you to thank you for all your analysis and helping to create this brand new position on Broadway. 
the genie probably wants you to go work for the ticketing team over there at Disney. <laughs> you won't do that because you've got your own company. But the genie grants you a wish anyway. What's the one thing that you would ask this genie to wish away about Broadway? The one thing that drives you nuts, that gets you angry, that you feel needs to change? Just like that. Greater collaboration. There are a lot of good ideas in the theater, and they don't reach fulfillment. Working together. There is sometimes the perception of, um, you know, the old saying, it's not enough for me to succeed. My friends have to also fail. We need greater collaboration, shared data. We all try and find out each other's numbers and what people are doing. If we worked collaboratively and, frankly, developing a more common experience for our customers, branding, so that people, nobody walks out of Hamilton and says, I want to see another show just like that. There isn't another show just like that. There are 20 other shows that that person will probably also enjoy in a different way. We need collaboration to expand the branding of Broadway and working on improving the experience of Broadway in little ways. That would be my biggest wish. It's a very good wish. It's one of the things, you know, I always harken back to the time when we didn't even tell our customers where they were sitting when they purchased a ticket. We don't have a very good history of providing a lot of good customer service, but we are getting better thanks to people like you. And you're right, not everyone uses a ticketing analyst right now, but I'll flash forward 10 years and say everyone will (laughs) soon enough. Thanks so much for being here, Mike. Best of luck with everything. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to tune in to the Macy's Day Parade this Thursday, Thanksgiving Day on NBC to watch Once on this Island performing live. Have a great turkey day. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.